Daniel chapter 10. And I might add, this week we will really do Daniel chapter 10. James Montgomery Boyce says that if you've been following along in Daniel, the visions increase in length and complexity. This final vision is, is actually, or the final section of Daniel, consists of Daniel 10, 11, and 12. Chapter 10 tells us how the vision of chapter 11 and 12 came to Daniel. So it's kind of setting the context for us. Kind of roughly divide Daniel in half. Chapters 1 through 6 are more of a historic narrative, but they had some dreams and, and visions, images. Chapter 7 through 12 are more about prophecy, but there are some um, narrative sections in that that help us with the context. You might recall chapter 9 began, uh, first 19 verses were Daniel's prayer after he had read what the prophet Jeremiah had proclaimed according to the word of the Lord is Israel returning to the promised land. And chapter 10, setting up 11 and 12, kind of the same way, um, which we will see momentarily. But before we jump into the text, let's pray. Father, give us understanding of Your Word as we read what Your prophet Daniel recorded over 2,500 years ago. God, give us insight and understanding. Open our hearts and our minds that we might be willing to respond to things that You might move us to do for actions on our part, what we can learn about You and Your greatness, Your glory, Your mercy and Your grace, Your faithfulness, Your love. And God, also as we look at Daniel and see what we can, can glean from his life that we could emulate and be better servants for You. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. In Dr. Constable's outline, he calls Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 Daniel's most detailed vision of the future. And just like James Montgomery Boyce said that the visions increase in length and complexity, now that we're at the, the last one, we see a much longer vision that Daniel receives. Dr. Constable also says that chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, verse 1, kind of echoes James Montgomery Boyce and Dr. Constable says that so Daniel's preparation to receive the vision. And he breaks it down into seven parts. I like his outline uh, on, on this chapter. 
So we'll, we'll kind of follow it. This is from, from Dr. Constable. The first part is the background of the vision. Remember, just like they say in, in what are the three most important things in real estate, location, location, location. What are the three most important things in hermeneutics or biblical interpretation? Context, context, context. So, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Cyrus is the, the king of the Mede and Persian Empire. We've, we've heard of him before. Primarily chapter um, 9, though, was regarding Darius, a Mede who was given reign over the realm of the Babylonians. Now Daniel is, is relating this to, to Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, the, the ultimate king over the entire Mede and Persian Empire. And in the third year of Cyrus's reign, specifically his reign over the Babylonian Empire, that Cyrus had come to power in, in Persia in about 558 B.C., but that he conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. So in the third year after 539, it's pretty simple math, it's going to be about 536 B.C. is when, when this happens. Cyrus had, had conquered Babylon in 539 and issued a decree in 538 allowing the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the, the temple. In reading Ezra, we learned that by 537, Israel had, had reinstituted the sacrifices there in Jerusalem. And in 539, they had begun to, in 536, they had begun to rebuild the temple. But they ran into opposition. Boyce says that around 535, 534, that the, the building of the temple stopped for about 15 years. So this chapter begins in 536 B.C. How long has Daniel been in Babylon? Pretty close to 70 years now. He was taken with the first group of captives to Babylon from Jerusalem in 605. Now it's about 536. So he's going on his 70th year. If he were a, a middle teenager or early teenager, he would be um, 85. If he were a latter teen, he, he could be approaching 90 by now. Certainly 87 or 88. So Daniel has, has lived most of his life and lived most of it in, in Babylon. In, in recording these events, Daniel says, A word was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar. 
many of the Israelites have returned to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the temple later, the city, the walls. Daniel's still there. And, he, and he, I think it's just a reminder to us when he uses his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, that he's still in Babylon. Was he too old to go back? Was he, you know, why didn't he return? I don't, I'm really not going to say that he was too old. How old was Moses when he led the Exodus? How old was Caleb when he, when he conquered the land that he was given? They were both about Daniel's age. Moses was 80. Caleb was about 85. I think God planned on Daniel staying in Babylon, and Daniel is still faithful to that, to that call. So, in the third year of Cyrus, Daniel receives another word. It's true, but it's of great conflict. We'll get into that in chapter 11 and, and 12. And he understands the word, and he understands the vision. So the second part of Daniel's preparation for this vision, verses 2 and 3, Dr. Constable calls it Daniel's personal preparations. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the, the full three weeks. So Daniel is in Babylon. Many of his countrymen have returned to begin rebuilding the temple that Cyrus had decreed it could be it could be rebuilt. And we find him mourning and fasting. Why? What has Daniel in this state of mind that he's that he's mourning and fasting? Could it be that he, he already knows that the work has stopped on the on rebuilding the temple? That he wonders should he have made the trip? Should he have gone? There's there's opposition from from all sorts of people back there in Jerusalem. Or maybe he's remembering that vision that he had two years previously, back in chapter 9, where he was told by Gabriel that for there in verse 25, the latter part of 25, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. Or maybe he's remembering the vision that he had in, in chapter 8, the end of which, verse 26, we read that, that Daniel was exhausted and sick for many days. But then he arose up and went about the king's business. Daniel is, is concerned about something. 
whether it's the latter days, the long-term history of Israel from the 6th century that he's living in until the time of Messiah, even beyond, or if it's the specific current events going on in, in, in Jerusalem. Is he thinking of, of how the original exodus from Egypt went? Moses and the people were, were led out and they went to Sinai and received the Lord. They were, there were many troubled times then marked with Israel's hard-headedness and hard-heartedness in receiving God's law and, and obeying it. But maybe he looks back on that as a, as a better time, a better exodus, where they moved in and they, and they conquered the land with Joshua, the people going in to Jericho. I remember when we read through Joshua and Judges and Samuel and the kings, all the times that, that Israel had forsaken the Lord and, and, and turned from Him. They were not obedient in driving out all the Canaanites. Maybe Daniel, knowing his, the history of his nation, is, is mourning just because he knows how the people are and, and he's, he's saddened by that, but also concerned and, and wanting God to make them better this time, to make them more obedient this time. So we find Daniel initially, he's, he's mourning, he's fasting, and did I say it wouldn't be a far reach to say he's praying, knowing this man who had already been thrown into the lion's den for praying, that he was probably praying as, as well. Verses 4 through 9. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a, fine, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his word words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was in, left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sounds then I heard the sounds of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. This is the third point part of Daniel's preparation for receiving the vision as Dr. Constable divides chapter 10 into, into seven outline points. 
And he calls this one Daniel's vision of the man by the Tigris. Notice when it starts. This would be a good pop quiz question. And if I hadn't read some stuff, I wouldn't have gotten it either. But on the 24th day of the first month, when is that? What else happens in the first month? Passover. That God instructed Moses, this will be the first of your months. And on the 10th day, you will set aside a lamb. On the 14th day, you will slay the lamb. So if we're at the 24th day of the month, Daniel's standing by the river bank. He has some, some colleagues with him, friends, maybe students. We don't know if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still around, but he's got some others with him there. Maybe they've gone on a, on a prayer walk or just to get out uh, of, of their houses while he's in the midst of this, this fasting. It's 10 days after Passover. You remember Passover and then the, the next week was the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread where Israel remembered the haste with which they left Egypt. The Jews didn't observe these days while in, in captivity, but Daniel is, would be fully aware of, of what would have been happening Maybe not every year, because we know Israel had, had drifted from the Lord, left the Lord, worshipped other gods, but in, but in many, many years they were supposed to observe the Passover, and many of the godly families certainly would, even regardless of who the, the, the king had been in those days. And so, he, so this is occurring during what would be Passover season. He's, he's mourning, he's fasting. It'd be the equivalent of, I think, our Christmas season of mourning and fasting. Something has touched Daniel's heart deeply and he spent this time mourning and, and, and fasting and probably praying. As he's there on the river, he says that he looks up and he sees a man. And the man is wearing linen, the garment of, of, of the priests. He, he has a gold belt that would distinguish him as a, a special per person, a um, important person. His body's like like barrel, this this gleaming gemstone. His face is like lightning, bright. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs gleam like burnished bronze. And then on top of all of that, on top of his appearance says the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude a commanding powerful 
authoritative voice is this one that Daniel sees on the banks of the river. Dr. Wolverd says the impression given to Daniel was the entire body of the man was like a gigantic transparent jewel reflecting the glory of the rest of the vision. So remember all of this is preparation for the vision in 11 and 12. So we have to try to remember this when we get to 11 and 12 and hear what this vision is. All of the, the features picture a person of, of great splendor. So who is this person? Well, believe it or not, and hope you're sitting down, there's debate among all the scholars on, on who this is. Some say it's the, the pre-incarnate Christ. The description is, is similar, at, at least in, in degree, to Revelation 1 and, and Ezekiel 1. Others say that he's an angel. And we'll get into a little more of, of that um, later. I, I take it to be an, an angel, but there are many way smarter than me that said to pre-incarnate Christ. Daniel sees the man, and he obviously hears the man, but those with him says they don't they did not see but this great trembling fell upon them. The New King James says that verse 7, I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Some, somehow they, they sense something uh, Maybe they were reading ahead and saw what happened to Daniel because um, he's going to faint again. The, the NIV says that I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled, fled, fled and hid themselves. The New American Standard, I like this one because it's more to the point. A great dread fell on them and they ran away to hide themselves. That, that seems even, I mean, they were more spooked. When you run away, you know, fled's kind of a nice word. You run away and you're scared. They ran and hid themselves. So verse eight, I alone, was left and saw this great vision. The NIV there in verse 8 says, I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I think that kind of captures Daniel's just what's really happening. That he saw this man on the banks with this glorious appearance. He heard his, his words of authority and power. The men with him just, just vanished. They, they ran away 
and hid themselves. And then Daniel says, he was the only one left and he was just gazing. He's staring at this man that he's just seen. Continuing in verse 8, I mean, if you're Daniel, you're staring at this man that just appeared on the banks of the river. All your friends have, are no longer anywhere to be seen. What are you going to do? We could talk brave and big and bold, but I'm thinking I'm going to probably end up like Daniel. No strength was left in me. The SV says, my radiant appearance was fearfully changed. That's kind of, seems kind of funny. Daniel's saying, even though I'm an 85-year-old prophet, been here in the desert and the Middle East for 70 years, I still have my good looks, my radiant appearance. But when I saw this guy, it changed. The NIV says, my face turned deathly pale. The New American Standard says, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor. So he turned, turned white as a sheep. He was as scared as the other guys, but he didn't run off. But he, he retained no strength said then verse 9 I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sounds of his words I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground I think that's almost as good as his radiant appearance fearfully changed he fainted so if you faint try to remember those words what happened I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground that sounds better than I fainted. Daniel's friends kind of re remind one of, of Saul's encounter on the road to Damascus with when he encountered the risen Christ in Acts 9. It says that they, they heard the voice, but they didn't see anything, Paul's companions. Daniel's reaction is much like John's in Revelation 1 where he fell at Jesus' feet as if he were dead. But we shouldn't be too hard on Daniel. He's, he's been fasting and mourning for three full weeks. He's gone out probably to pray with his, his fellow countrymen on the banks of the, of the Tigris. And he sees this man or a man-like person being standing there attired like probably better than any king and he's seen a lot of kings that better than any king Daniel has ever seen verse 10 and behold a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees and he said to me O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words I, that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. And when, I, when he had spoken this word to me, 
I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days to come. So who is this man? Kind of get a little more insight at, at this point. Or, or let's, let me just say the debate kind of broadens to this point. Matthew, Henry, and others say that the man in verses 5 and 6 was the pre-incarnate Christ, but here in verses 10 through 21, it's an angel. Because what Daniel says is, Behold, a man touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So they would say there were two, two people involved. I'm still thinking it's one person and that it's an angel. And then when this, this being that touched him says that he battled the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, the pre-incarnate Christ would not have taken more than a nanosecond to disperse the kingdom, the prince of the kingdom of Persia. But that's maybe that's just me. So a hand touched Daniel. Daniel is fainted. A hand touched him and set him up trembling on his hands and knees. You kind of get the picture of somebody playing football that gets the wind knocked out of them, falls flat on their face. They come over and they help him. They help him up. What do you do? Well, you, you sit there on your hands and knees for a little while while you're still getting your, your wind back and your, and your bearings. And so Daniel is trembling on his hands and knees and, and the angel speaks to him. And he says, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. The same phrase that, that Gabriel had, had said to Daniel back in chapter 9, Gabriel appeared to Daniel after Daniel had been praying the first 19 verses of chapter 9. And then in, in, in verse 20 through 23, Gabriel is, is telling Daniel that his prayers were heard. Verse 23, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. It's translated, other versions, highly esteemed, treasured. Dr. Constable says that literally in the Hebrew it means man of preciousness. God has sent a heavenly being to answer Daniel's prayers to give him a response to his mourning, his fasting, his praying for those three weeks. Daniel sees this angel and it's not like an angel you see on TV. It is a real biblical angel and in the New Testament, well, in the Old Testament too, usually the first things they say is, fear not, and this angel's going to tell Daniel that too. 
but he tells Daniel, you are greatly loved. And he, and he raises him up. And then he tells him, notice how soon God sent this angel. How soon does God hear our prayers? Verse 12, fear not, Daniel. Okay, there it is. Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand, your words have been heard. There is no spam prayers going to God. There's no lost letter department, lost prayer department. God hears our prayers. God knows our prayers before they're on our lips. So if He heard the prayer and sent the angel, what happened? Did you get lost? What, what happened? And the angel goes on and explains to Daniel, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. What's the first thing, the first word you think when you read that? I wrote in my margin, whoa. I mean, I read this before, so I knew it was coming, but were you expecting that? The angel says, God heard your prayers, dispatched me, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Finally, Michael, one of the chief princes, came. We know that Michael is an angel. Apparently, the prince of Persia is a fallen angel. The New Testament calls them demons. That there's this cosmic battle between the fallen angels following Satan and God's angels. One scholar wrote that God accords certain accords demons certain limited powers of obstruction and rebellion. Then he tells Daniel why he's why he he said he came to make you understand what's going to happen to your people in the latter days. If Daniel is concerned with what's going on in in Jerusalem in 536 BC, God is about to tell him more. And just like he had told him in, in, in chapter 8 and 9, there's going to be conflict. And while that conflict is just beginning on earth, even getting the message to Daniel, there's a spiritual conflict. Hostilities in, in the unseen world. Daniel's Daniel prayed God sent a heavenly being, an angel, but a corresponding evil angel resisted him. James Boyce says these fallen angels are mentioned over a hundred times in the Old Testament and over a hundred and sixty times in the New Testament. It's definitely a woe moment when Daniel hears that. So what do we make of this struggle between the holy angels and demons? Dr. Walford says that the entire subject of the unseen struggle between holy angels and demons is not clearly revealed in Scripture, but it is plain that behind political and social conditions of the world is angelic influence. So question for later, is this just an Old Testament thing? You know. A lot of times we, we want to write something off. It's just an Old Testament. Those things don't happen anymore. Well, just keep that 
somewhere front burner back burner and we'll get back to it so Daniel's okay now right Dr. Constable's fifth point is Daniel's continuing weakness I don't know if it makes me feel any better that even after what's transpired in verses 1 to 14 Daniel is still weak well let's read it verse 15 when he had spoken to me according to these words I turned my face to the ground and was mute what did he do he he looked down I don't think he fainted again he looked down and couldn't say anything you, you picture him with his his hand on his head looking down struggling with whoa what what did he just say what what happened God heard my prayers but and he sent an angel to tell me but that angel was delayed for 21 days because he's fighting a fallen angel a demon Daniel turned his face to the ground and was mute verse 16 and behold one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips then I opened my mouth and I spoke I said to him who stood before me oh my Lord by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord for no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me Daniel is still struggling to the point of he has no strength he doesn't know what to say because of what this angel has has told him and he hasn't heard the vision yet verse 18 again one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and he said oh man greatly loved fear not peace be with you be strong and of good courage and as he spoke to me I was strengthened and said let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me then he said do you know why I have come to you but now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia and go out behold the prince of Greece will come but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and to strengthen him. This is the third time that the angel and angel has touched Daniel. Are there more than one? Was the first person he saw on the banks the pre-incarnate Christ and there were two angels with him? It really sounds like there's one. I'm going to keep going with one. And it's an angel that first appeared to him. This angel again touches Daniel the third time and strengthened him. Now he has his strength back. And the, and, and the angel then tells him again, Oh man, he touches him and he tells him again, Oh man of preciousness. Oh man, highly esteemed. Oh man, greatly loved. 
that God wants Daniel to know he loves him deeply, sincerely. He sent this angel to bring Daniel understand him and to show him this vision. And that angel strengthens Daniel, much like the angel strengthened Jesus in, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22, starting in verse 39, as Jesus was praying and he was strengthened by an angel. And then the angel kind of backs up to the beginning in verse 20. It says, Do you know why I have come to you? Is that a rhetorical question? Is he saying, remember why I came to you? Matthew Henry says, this is a Matthew Henry quote, If you knew on what errand I came, thou wouldst not be put into such consternation by it. The angel's telling Daniel, don't you remember why I came? If you knew why I came, you were, you were mourning, you were fasting, you were praying. And if you, if you remembered that, you wouldn't be so put off, put out by not put out or put off. You wouldn't be so, so shocked by this. And back in verse 12, he had told him, I, I came because of your words. In verse 14, he had told him, I have come to make you understand. Daniel was lamenting the current difficulties and the angel is going to tell him of greater difficulties, of those conflicts that, that Gabriel had told him that, of how Jerusalem would be rebuilt and, the, and how the, uh, the, the city would, would be, all of this during turmoil. Is he showing him that, that the turmoil is going to worsen in the days after cessation? Of prophecy before the Messiah comes, those 400 dead years when Israel is waiting. So the, the angel reminds Daniel, I've come, I've got to go back and fight the prince of Persia. After that, the prince of Greece will come. That's a future event. But let me tell you what's inscribed in the book of truth. God's God's Scripture, but also things not revealed that God has not revealed. He will reveal some new things here in 11 and 12, but the book of truth referring to God's full book of truth. And many of, think of those things we do not know, they're not revealed. The time, when will Jesus return? We don't know. So the angel tells Daniel, remember why I'm here and pull yourself together, dude. It's, you know, now I've got, I've got business to do. I've got to go fight this demon in Persia. And as soon as I get rid of him in, a, in another hundred years, I'm going to have to fight the, the prince of Greece. Maybe it's like 200 years you got to fight the prince of Greece because that's like 333. Anyhow, I'm going to tell you what's inscribed in the book. And then verse 11 really belongs with, with I mean, chapter verse 1 in chapter 11 really, really goes with chapter 10. A lot of Bibles have outlines broken up in them. Uh, my New American Standard has verse, 11, chap, verse 1 of chapter 11 with chapter 10, 
New American Standard does that. The ESV doesn't, but but the angel is is kind of giving Daniel a picture of what he's done. Dr. Constable says that what he's saying is the point is that the good fortune that the Israelites have experienced under Darius have been the results of this successful angelic warfare. So read the first verse of chapter 11. As for me, that's the angel speaking, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. The angel's given Daniel his resume. Like, I've been working for three years now. We'll get into this, this final vision next week. We won't finish it. Hopefully we can finish in two weeks. That'll put us right back to, I think it's August 30th, when we'll begin meeting again in the, in the fellowship hall on Kreiner Street. What can we glean from this? How old was Daniel? 85, 88, we, he's definitely a senior citizen. Can we glean something from that? I've heard it said, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. You're never too old to be useful and used by God. Why was Daniel mourning and fasting and praying? He was concerned with others, whether it was those who were in Jerusalem at that moment facing opposition, if he's concerned for his nation going forward and the things that were to come. It led him to mourn, to fast, to pray. How often do I, am I led to mourn and fast and pray? for my contemporaries or for those yet to come. Those are the two possibilities of, of what has distressed Daniel, what's going on now in Jerusalem or in the future. And he was deeply concerned for others. I think we can gain that from Daniel's behavior, something to, to emulate. What does it teach us about God? How soon does God hear my prayers? That's almost a rhetorical question, right? Immediately. He may not answer right away or the answer might not be obvious right away, but that God hears my prayers. There may be hindrances to our prayers about which we know nothing but we're to keep praying. Like the parable Jesus told in, in Luke 18. And then what about spiritual warfare? Is this an Old Testament happening that we no longer face? Well, remember what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, and I know you've read this and heard this. And he says, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Sounds pretty much like the Prince of Persia. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done nothing, done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We learn of Daniel's praying at all times, three, at least three times a day. All kinds of prayers, praise, repentance, thanksgiving, supplication for, for others. Paul tells us the same thing to, to beware of these. Be ready. You, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We'll start chapter 11, verse 2 next week. One, and see what this vision is that the angel gave to Daniel once Daniel regained his strength. Father, I thank you for your word. Just enlighten our hearts and our minds that we can understand it, that we can glean things from Daniel's life that will make us better servants and followers of Christ. And then we can also see how you're concerned, how you greatly love Daniel, and you greatly love each and every one of us, so much so that you sent your son to die in our place, to make the sacrifice for our sins, to atone for our sins with His precious blood. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.